Hi, my name is Nick Thompson and I run holisticvet.co.uk. We're based near Bath in England. I'm Dr. Brendan Clark. I'm based at Towerwood Vets in West Yorkshire. And my name's Dr. Connor Brady, the non-vet of the gang from dogsparts.ie. And together we are Raw Pet Medics. Hi guys. So Welcome, uh, I'm Brendan Clark, and we're not going to talk about slippery piglets. Okay, slippery so piglets. <laughs> we're talking about on the farm. <laughs> Does anybody ever come into your practice, friend, with a, a piglet, like a pet pig or anything, and say, I need help? So, I did have, um, when I worked in Mansfield a long time ago, um, a number of people that had Vietnamese pot-bellied pigs. Love them, love those guys. And, um, and as, house pig, as house pets. Literally oh, yeah. as house pets, because uh, they could be trained. We're going to talk about training later, but yeah, yeah. this is pigs. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they would train them in the house. Uh, and then you get these people that start to say, oh, I've got a miniature pig. And actually, no, it's just a baby pig. It's just a baby oh, pig. Well, it's it's <laughs> Three years later, yeah. it's like the size of a house. Yeah. <laughs> they're going, what do I do with it? Oh, do you let us Vietnamese? Do you let a little pig you put little booties on them, ripple rubber booties? You churn up your foot. Yeah. Yeah. It's like 20 feet, don't they? They make bits of your carpet, don't they? Just, just stop them slipping on the slippery yeah, floor. Yeah, yeah. the laminate's terrible for them. It's like I stilettos. Love. They leave little dints. Yeah, yeah. I love pigs. Oh, God, I love them. Yeah, I have heard, I have seen that before. I've seen stories of people going, oh, I thought it was a baby pig or a, a tiny pig, and there's like a picture of a guy in an apartment with like 300 kilo cell. But actually, I heard there was a guy in New York that got arrested because he had a 400-pound tiger and an alligator in his apartment. Manhattan. Can you believe it? Yeah. And he started calling for help and the two of them started fighting. It's like, can you imagine the guy going up the stairs with just sacks of meat every day? Like, where is he going? I mean, what a lunatic. Anyway, bloody hell. Um, so how's your week been, Brad? As it hopefully hasn't been too stressful because I can imagine tonight is, is all about the stress. Uh, yeah, well, I wouldn't say too stressful. I mean, it's been a few things that have irked us, irked us both. And I think yes. you, you, we've had that in our chat, haven't we? Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think we should deal with that. Let's, yeah, let's, let's you know, I think it's, you yeah. know. But uh, before, actually, before we get into it, uh, patreon.com forward slash raw pet medic. Guys, if you're on there, you can afford the price of a cup of tea, coffee. It helps us prepare where it took us a couple of hours of prep to get this sorted out and uh, back up what we're trying to say. Um, so that really helps patreon.com forward slash raw pet mate. Price of a cup of coffee a month is all we ask if you can great if you can't no sweat we're going to be here anyway every week we love it so um, yeah so listen we were just saying at the start there Bren uh, let's deal with the big thing that came up that really bothered us both uh, this latest uh, study from the uh, on vegan pet food do you want to start us off yeah yeah uh, really interesting um, to go through that paper um, <laughs> Although there was only one year difference, they still made a big thing about one year difference uh, in the average age. Meat, raw meat diets still came out top in that paper. That but all we heard food. about was vegan foods are yeah. better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. just like, how is that? Yeah. Just even, you know. But anyway, putting yeah. that to one side um, and putting to side that actually the prof that was there um, hasn't really contemplated the biological significance of what he's feeding. And it was really interesting hearing 
so many people respond on media uh, outlets that were pushing this, oh, isn't this great about vegan diets and they're going to be so much greener and we can feed our dogs them and there's going to be so much healthier. And actually, uh, so many people, and it's probably some of our viewers, and I think even Nick might have got himself in there because I heard one text from Nick, don't know which Nick, might have been ours, uh, saying, uh, it's just like feeding rabbits raw steak. You know, it just isn't right. Don't yeah. do it. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, it was just ridiculous. It wound me up so much, but I went into all of the little areas. Some of the paper is written so badly. They've made assumptions about well, health man. issues with raw food without any references to those issues that they've, they're they saying are just there. Yeah. Um, oh, that's just such bad yeah. science. Yeah. I just hate it when people do that. They make, oh, well, it's been proven before. I'm not going to go there and show you any references. It's yeah, like, it's no, what reference is you making that yeah. decision on? Yeah, not, yeah. Let's pretend it's just known. Because it isn't. That left off the page for me. Think about this survey that they did, okay, that this study was based on, that Professor Noyce um, uh, engineered. 2,600 people is a survey. So there's a thing called the pyramid of evidence, okay? And quite ironically, Pete Vet was in the British uh, Small Animal Veterinary Association conference talking about raw uh, meat diets there two weeks ago. I mean, who else would you ask but the owner of a rice-based dry food brand? And he came in and he was extolling the importance of the pyramid of evidence. And when you look at the studies that we have for raw, when previously he said there wasn't any studies for raw, there was a few. And when you look at them on the pyramid, they're not brilliant. It's not like we've got this huge double blind where neither, nobody knows what's going on over years, thousands of pets, because the raw food industry doesn't yet have that sort of funds or oh, but it's getting there. And the studies are coming out and they populate the ladder in places. Point is, at the bottom of that ladder, okay, just above uh, case studies done by an individual vet, but it has to be of quality, so it would have to be a brain or uh, somebody's expert opinion. That's the bottom rung. And just above that is surveys, because surveys are so poor. I mean, of the 2,600 people they asked, they just sent out a questionnaire, fill in what you want, only 336 were vegan. So he's basing this whole study and the benefits of vegan pet food on the responses from 300 vegans feeding their pet, very incorrectly, vegan pet food. And if you ask them, is that a good idea? What do you think they're going to say? They are feeding this product to their dogs. Do you think, do you think it's a stupid idea? Do you think they're going to go, actually, it's a terrible idea. My pet is healthy. Or you might uh, just something called it. confirmation bias. Okay. Right this is, you know, yeah. absolutely. So, you know, it's really important that you point that out. Um, there is a yeah. huge amount of confirmation bias. And what got me is some of the commentaries out there that actually there are professors. So he's not a professor in a veterinary department, okay? That's no. one thing to make sure of people understand here. Um, but actually, there, is, um, there are professors in veterinary departments discussing nutrition in various veterinary schools across America that were pointing out that actually this is dangerous in the fact that actually there are so many vegan diets which will be poorly balanced over time. And actually a year is not long enough, which, which also makes me laugh because a lot of them back up after, which relies on six months. Yeah. But that's another matter. Uh, they're saying a year is not long enough to see the damage these diets can do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And actually with the confirmation bias, the number of visits to the vet is going to be down. Yeah. The opportunity for that vet to make an adverse comment within their 10-minute scheduled consult 
yeah. is going to be down. Yeah. How are they going to possibly get in the survey? My vet said there was a problem. They're not even probably going to go in more than yeah. once in yeah. that year. Uh, you know, like, and crucially, they didn't involve any vets in the health of these cats. This was based on hmm. guardian opinion and predicted veterinary opinion. So what yes. do you think the vet would say about your dog? And on the back of this survey of 2,600 cats, 300, just over 300 vegan, uh, Professor Noid, not a vet, is uh, not, not in the veterinary department. I'm not sure if he's a vet by, by background, but actually his background is, is possibly what's slanting this a little bit. Now, I, I can't comment on, on the way he does studies. I'm sure he means the, the best. But the problem is, if you're going to bring out a survey, coming back to what um, Pete the vet was saying, you've got this pyramid of evidence, and down the bottom is surveys, because they're just completely lopsided. You can't trust what you're seeing. It might be a handy indicator, but, you know, you can, a, a, a pet food company can produce a survey of their own clients, and the clients will respond more uh, positively than a random sample of the population. If you want to see, did a drug, what was the effect of, you know, mass vaccination? You don't ask Pfizer to do the study, okay, and do a survey. You're going to do an, a random sample of the population. It's the only way to do it. So down the bottom is survey. But isn't it very interesting that in his conclusions, Professor Knight says that they're like, raw dog food significantly related to risk. He didn't mention the very biggest survey yet published that I've seen is 16,500 dog owners by Helsinki University on the safety of raw dog food, not mentioned in his piece at all. So for a guy to put such value on such a poor survey, he didn't mention a colossal survey that didn't just look at one dog over a year, but that is many dogs, thousands of dog years, millions of meals, 16,500 owners, a tiny, tiny little bit was found, safer than probably fresh food. And that's not mentioned in these studies. So what you have is a terrible, almost useless survey that has then been branded out by the, and pushed heavily into media. Okay, check this out. The Guardian loves a bit of it, so I'm not going to read out The Guardian. I told you. Listen to the Metro, okay? Vegan diets may be healthier than those munching on meat. The study actually concluded munching on meat could possibly could be healthier than vegan diets. What they meant to see, say was, in the paper, was meat-based diet. And clearly, when you're talking about meat-based diet, vegan pet food, Professor Knight has done this before, in the other survey that they bandy around, which is vegan pet foods compared to meat-based pet foods. And the meat-based pet foods are pet foods with chicken or with beef, which is actually with chicken bone meal or with beef bone meal. They're comparing their possibly well-made vegan diets with possibly better minerals, maybe chelated minerals and all sorts of cool things in there. Okay. And they compare them to the worst pet food you can imagine, cereal-based pet food with pork and bone meal. And that's their comparison. And what they put out to the media is, we compared our vegan foods to meat-based dry food. No, you didn't. That is 4% bone meal. There's more meat in a butcher's knife. So straight away, the, me the Metro's title, <laughs> vegan dogs may be healthier than dogs munching on meat, completely incorrect. And the very next line, dogs may actually be better off eating vegan food than meat, a new study has suggested. That study didn't show anything of the sort. It was a survey, completely used a survey of Professor Noyes. If I could say one more thing on this, Brent. Professor Noyes, um, you get to be a professor by producing papers, okay? So you can be a professor of anything, and if you put out a lot of papers, a, a university's job is to produce papers, a department, and if you don't produce enough papers, you're in the wrong place, and you produce lots of papers, that's how, you, that's how professorships are earned, with a lot of academic publications, okay? And academia and science are two very, very different things. So Professor Noyes has a lot of publications. The problem is, Professor Noyes, is a professor of animal welfare and ethics, okay, uh, and uh, which is quite ironic considering we're talking about health here, long-term health, and founding director of the, of, the, uh, of the Center for Animal Welfare and the School of Environment and Science. And I think the environment thing is the problem because most of Professor Knight's studies have been in the environment, and the reduction of meat consumption by dogs would benefit the planet. 
And here lies the problem, because the only reason I have slowly started going back towards me after 10 years being a vegetarian, I'm not flagging off the vegans because I was a vegetarian for a long time, is because, yeah, so either Professor Knight is not reading these books that have just put back to bed, okay? We, we know from the omnivore's dilemma to defending beef to everything else, we know the problem is the science is filthy and it's associated with what's going on in CAFOs, which is a terrible way to raise beef and it's terrible for the planet, produces huge amounts of CO2, all a horrible, shitty grain. But we know that organic farming needs a certain amount of manure and sustainable farming is a really good thing to do. In fact, it takes more carbon from the atmosphere. Grass grows so fast compared to tree that they dump out 50 pounds of manure every day and create soil as opposed to the pit. So uh, what I suspect is going on here is a massive bit of cognitive dissonance. Professor Knight, I think he spent years producing papers on the dangers of eating too much meat and beef and that. And you look back over your career and at that stage after producing all those papers, you have to eventually say, shit, uh, it turns out that uh, ruminants might be a really important part of it, and perhaps I took the wrong slant. And that is a very, very difficult thing to do. Very few people can look back and shit on their career and go, I was totally wrong. Really good scientists can, but people that have just about to retire and I'm a professor and this is hard work, I'm not saying this is what Professor Knight is doing, I'm just saying that this possibly could explain the, the inability to see that Meat, unfortunately, is going to be a very important part of how we're going to get out of the situation, whether, whether the vegans want to hear it or not. Vegans don't have to eat it, but ruminants will. And so I think when he starts saying that dogs will be healthier on this without any sort of evidence, I can see where that comment is coming from. But that's where these two ridiculous surveys are coming from. And then people like Pete Vet, who on one hand, two weeks ago, say, extolling um, or, you know, the, the benefits of this pyramid of evidence, surveys, useless. But on the same hand, Peter Vett was on, the, uh, was on uh, our primetime kind of news shows uh, and no doubt has been talking about vegan pet food numerous times. And he's saying that vegan pet food is healthy for pets on the basis of two surveys by Professor Knight with a tiny amount of people in it. You can't have it both ways. And this is the problem. It's like, here's some shitty science to support us. Ignore all the really good science over there. We're not talking about that. I hate it as an approach. And uh, so I, I agree, Brent. It, it did. What are we going to do about this, Brent? Well, I mean, the, the other thing is there is a study showing the benefits of raw. There's that whole inflammatory mediator, the homocysteine yeah. stuff uh, that yeah. actually shows the improvement in dogs which are on raw meat yeah. diet. Yeah. And actually, that's what they should have been doing is they should have been running concurrently those tests which are out there in the science yeah. to show that, you know, um, by all means, you know, if they then show that those inflammatory mediators and all of the epigenetic nice. stresses go down, that's when you can say that diet is good for dogs. Yeah. Okay. Albeit that it's processed and we've got to work out, are we allowing ourselves dogs which will eat the processed diet for the rest of their genetic line? Um, then that's an option if it's possible. Is that going to be a good thing for the environment? Well, with all the monoculture and the chemicals that are used to produce those crops, I doubt it. But you know, let's be yeah. good scientists and say yeah. until it's proven, uh, you know, we'll we'll go with them. But at the end of the day, I think there's so much bad science within that paper. Yeah. That for all of you guys who are getting asked the questions when they come into you uh, in the stores, in the groups, in the, you know, all of that side of things, you can say, watch this little bit. I think we've taken that apart uh, well and truly. Yeah. And, and just read the paper. We've posted that up now. That's on our page. So if you're yeah, um, I like that point, Brent, because you just you just nailed on something. They've ignored a few of the studies. We've got this, um, you know, increase in homocysteine, gene expression of histamine, uh, because that mm. put in 2018. We've got the gut flora stuff. 
and and many little things that we would expect to come from ultra processed pet food because they just you can't chemically preserve dry food and expect to have normal blood flow. So that's a good thing. When you know these things exist out there in the science, how you read it, uh, well, then why don't you just get vets to analyze those pets at the end of the year and, and tell us, tell us that those, and, and not even a year, five years, smoking doesn't happen. You know, if you want to see the effects of smoking, 11 smokers against 11 non-smokers would be perfectly good against each other after 45 minutes of football, the second half that you want to see it in. So long-term studies, we dare to dream. But even the homocysteine stuff, you're totally right. Start with that. Prove to us that your stuff isn't inflammatory to pets, as all ultra-processed food and ultra-processed protein and stale fats and chemical preservatives and all the shit that goes into it. It's, it's wrong, wrong, wrong. And, and a couple of people mentioning some sort of historic dietary stuff. I know that there are some people in the States that wrote stuff 20 years ago, 25 years ago, maybe even 30 years ago, actually looking back. Uh, and I know a lot of that was based on human health advice about cycling through certain vegan diets at certain stages to, to feed. Do not get mixed up with what current science is saying about some of those foods in our canine friends, okay? You know, there was a lot of stuff said. I mean, I even said some stuff back in those days, which was based on human uh, advice. And I would now go back and just say, that's not where I am currently. You know, yeah. it's definitely not where we should be. Um, when we look at the current science. Yeah, we, um, we so, yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we're going to talk about something. You know, the reason for calling dietary de-stress tonight is actually we want to talk a little bit about behavioral stuff. Um, and we've already taken up half of our time yeah. <laughs> in ranting yeah. about, about different dietary uh, stuff. So hopefully we're going to just open this up. Last but not least, there is another YouTube video from another surgeon, not pelvic surgeon this time, extolling the um, issues around um, the fats and seed fats particularly uh, and grain fats that are out there. So I'll post that up on uh, Facebook for you guys to have a little uh, uh, chocolate because we've been talking about that. But definitely Deep Nutrition um, you know, by Catherine yeah, Shanahan yeah. Uh, is, is a favorite of ours, I think, from yeah. last year. I think it reached one of our top three uh, books of the year, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Last year's. Can you tell us a little bit about drugs? What is on offer that you can use and can't use? What's the difference between the couple of different drugs that are used? Can you give us a give us a bit on that? Yeah, yeah. So, the, um, look, uh, the reason for talking about this is that there are lots of supplements out there, and we're going to touch on those as we come through uh, this evening and, and talk about why they may not be as effective for our raw fed friends, or some of them may still be effective. Uh, and you need to look at those. Um, uh, but the, the, what we thought we'd touch on first is the drugs that are available and why um, I get a little bit itchy about uh, recommending them. Uh, they have a use where you've got dogs which are in you know, almost apoplectic fear scenarios. You know, um, I, I've seen some where they, you know, they can't step out of the threshold of the back door because the slightest traffic noise or the slightest, you know, um, dog at the far fence sets them off and they they retreat and they're barely going out to the toilet, let alone, you know. And those are circumstances where you've got to press the button to release their anxiety, to allow them to, to come forth. And it is so important whenever you give anything to help with the behavior of your pet that you literally look at all of the 
almost CBT, the cognitive behavioral therapy that should go alongside that, okay? And I, I'm going to reiterate that through tonight, but it is so important. These drugs are not a quick fix where you can just give this and done, okay? Um, and too many people are addicted. And I'm afraid that there's too many vets out there that are not necessarily behaviorally minded to, to talk about retraining. And it will be, your dog's got anxiety. This is an anti-anxiety medication. Off you go. And we are back to where human, well, actually probably still is to some degree in some places. And it depends on your individual doctor as to how much into therapies and talking and, and all of that they are um, into. Uh, but there's still a lot that will give out Valium. Um, uh, and that's the same, you know, diazepam in a firework phobia sensation is something that's been given to try and just give them a quick fix. Um, help them forget. It's an amnesiac. You forget the, the stress at that point. It's an anesthetic. You know, you're effectively giving them something that's going to wipe their short-term memory. So it's usually effective. Um, if you give it, it will usually wipe their short-term memory for up to 40 minutes before they've had the medication. So oh. you can just blitz them in that. And there are some licensed products for that now in Europe, okay, certainly in the UK. TVM do a, uh, a diazepam, um, but it is used generally for reducing seizure activity, okay? Oh. It's not thought of as something for an anti-anxiolytic. Uh, as is Xanax, is a human medication, is often used in that circumstances as well. And those are circumstances where, please, this is not a therapy. This is just to get the dog over an abject fear in that moment. The downside is because it wipes their memory, they will not learn a jot from that mm. episode. So you cannot retrain them whilst on Valium equivalent. Okay, the benzodiazepines do not help them. So do not think that you're giving them a long-term help um, for their phobia against fireworks or thunderstorms or whatever if you're using those products. You are getting them through. You are using it as a crutch, and that's it as a, a, alone, okay? Certainly, I will take this opportunity. Do not use acepromazine at all in any circumstances for trying to resolve an anxiety issue. All that you're going to be doing is sedating the dog allowing them to receive all of the alarming signals and yet not being able to do anything about it, okay? And you end up with a even more stressed dog uh, that comes around from the sedation. So please do not use ACE chromazine, okay? Oh, I'm going to take a breath for a moment. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, go ahead. So I think the other two things that we really want to talk about, because these are two licensed behavior drugs now. Um, one is the Prozac of the dog world, which has now got a license in the UK, something called Reconcile, which is uh, fluoxetine, okay? Fluoxetine, get me if I'm yeah, saying it wrong, right. okay? Um, is, and that was used in microdosing as a liquid form um, before this license came about because it could just take the edge off and you could still retrain the dog. But it was so important. All behaviorists have always talked about retraining. If you're going to seek somebody to help you with training your dog, please 
in the UK, and I'm sure around the world, there are equivalent organizations. Look to those uh, that are standing up against the charter, and effectively, you have the reassurance that they're being overseen by a governing body. They are not just going off and doing their own thing. And if you at all get punishment involved, or there is a, a trainer who's losing their temper with your dog, walk away. Okay, do not, you know, just that's the end of the session, walk away, do not use them. Uh, and please make sure that you are uh, considering uh, a different trainer. It is so important and Reconcile at least has on its website about retraining. So I've given you the link on the website for Reconcile to actually talk, you know, go through um, just about dealing with separation anxiety is, yeah. is the one that they use. Um, yeah. So look at that uh, behavioral, that CBT, I'm going to call it, the cognitive behavioral therapy, so important alongside those meds. And look at the minimal effective dose. Do not look at the, the now licensed alternative. So the vet will have to use the licensed alternative first. They don't get a choice under European law and UK law. Um, and so do look at that. Some dogs will become sleepier if you get to the high doses. Okay, and you don't want a zombie dog. You want a dog with quality of life. Yeah. That, and that's effectively what we call an SSRI. So a, a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. So what happens is serotonin is released into the uh, nerves, which effectively calm the dog down. And what normally happens is that, that, is, that it's taken back up by the, the endings and therefore reduces the amount of serotonin that's floating around in that process, okay? And calming down the, uh, the anxiety. What tends to happen is if you inhibit that being taken back up and out of that act on that, that um, junction, okay? Then you build up serotonin, you reduce the anxiety transmission ah, going cool. across that act on. So that's what an SSRI is, okay? The other thing that's far older, so uh, came out 2006, um, is something called um, Clomicam, which is called pyramine. Um, and that is a tricyclic antidepressant, okay? So not Prozac. It was called Prozac for dogs back in the day, but it's not Prozac. Prozac is fluoxetine. Um, and that works really in a different mechanism to suppress um, that anxiety. Um, it is thought of um, uh, alongside Selgin that came out around the same time, which was a dopamine um, uh, drug. And that is meant to reduce that anxiety transmission. But again, they both say you should retrain your dog whilst on it. The downsides to them, as you said, for humans, they're addictive. For dogs, you have to wean them off it. You cannot just stop it. So effectively, it is addictive for dogs too, okay? And it is also, you watch out for those side effects. They are reported on the data sheets, okay? I think I've put up for um, those, the, the links for the data sheets for those drugs as well, either on the websites uh, or through the European uh, Medicines Agency. Um, and on there, you will be able to see the side effects. So you must monitor liver enzymes if you're giving uh, clopramine. Okay, so just 
do not just give these drugs and think, oh, they'll be fine. I'm going to stick them on them. They'll be on them for three years. Uh, they'll be all right. No, please, you should be monitoring liver enzymes at least on a, uh, a monthly basis if you start yeah. to comment up. Um, somebody did mention earlier with regard to the um, uh, CBD. So there are CBD um, clinics. There are, uh, we do have CBD supplies. Um, there are them around the country. So do have a look at those. Uh, certainly, um, it's it's worth looking at in the UK. Um, and I know across the world, different people will have different views on using CBD in their pet. It will usually have the psychoactive elements, the THC, taken out of uh, the product. So be aware of that. Um, uh, and that's really important uh, for us. Uh, what other kind of where are you with this? Is there any other kind of supplements that you like in, in regards to uh, calming canines? Uh, yes, so there's a, there's a number. If you look at the Amarillo um, supplement from uh, Mushrooms for Pets, um, there's uh, alongside uh, some of the lion's mane, there is effectively a, um, a really nice um, uh, discussion about how they can help uh, with behavioral um, issues. And I think looking at those, um, one of the things that is commercially available from your local vet is actually Anxetane. And rather than just the standard L-tryptophans and things like that, it has L-theanine in, which I think, again, is a derivative uh, from certain mushrooms. And yeah. it's certainly worth looking at. And I have seen very effective in patients, especially raw-fed patients. And the explanation that you gave um, uh, earlier, which was about the, the fact that, that if your dog is deficient in some of these amino acids because it's not on raw, then you might find these products work well and hence the paper's written about them. But if they're fed raw, you may find a very limited efficacy yeah. uh, within them because they've already you know, had all of those amino acids boosted. Yeah. And if it's not going to be effective, then you need yeah. to look at something up as another option. Yeah. Um, the L-theanine amino acid you just mentioned, there isn't something you find commonly in the food chain. It's in a couple of the mushrooms in that book, I'm sure. Uh, and it's also found in black and green tea. So how much of that is your dog going to eat? So this is a quite a rare amino acid. And so if you find something, you know, it, it, as I said, in a parrot's toenail in Guatemala and it has some crazy effect in your brain and you take it, it's going to have a crazy effect on you because it's not something you get a lot in your food chain. So, uh, so yeah, that might work. And L-theanine, why not? It's not an amino acid that's going to accrue and prey too easy. So add it in, it might have an effect. Uh, I, I would say, oh, why not? Absolutely, I would give it a go. There's another one. There's a alpha-casepine, which is a thing that comes from casein comes from milk, essentially. And it has an effect, has a soothing effect in cats, but the top studies of it in dogs show utterly, absolutely not. It doesn't stop them promoting it for dogs because it does work in cats a little bit. But that in there is, a, is the, the danger that we have. There's another one that we used to guide dogs. I'm not sure if there's any behaviors this and they can help us. Um, is dog appeasing pheromone, particularly when we were transporting the pups, particularly long distances. Uh, and the pups aren't into it. They don't, you don't want them puking all over the van. You have to keep stopping so we'd use a tiny one or two sprays of dog appeasing pheromone. We'd use them with a new intake of dogs into the kennels, dog appeasing pheromone. And it's a pheromone extract, uh, the synthetic version of the pheromone the mother emits to get the pups to relax in the nest. So I thought there might be some sense to that. And I showed you a study there earlier on today, Brenda, that 
uh, that it does seem to work. I'm very aware of who those studies are produced by, but still, it gives me some uh, encouragement. Um, is there anything else in your box of tricks? What about like in herbs or uh, what about uh, homeopathy? Is that useful? Absolutely. When you start to look at mental symptoms, uh, there are many, many different ones. I can't go into the individuals because there are so many that are, um, you, you've got to individualize to those, um, those okay. particular cases, yeah. uh, especially around anxiety. Uh, and again, even then, I would say it's so important that you look at the CBT when you're giving any treatment, whatever the treatment is, uh, whatever you use, whether it's dog yeah. and pheromone, whether it's um, you know, Anxetane, uh, and you can get it online without a prescription. You don't need to go to your vet for it, okay? Uh, and that will probably keep your costs down for those that are anxious about costs. Um, uh, the, as I say, Mushrooms for Pets is available online. Uh, you can look at those. Uh, but uh, always, with any of those, make sure you're on board with a good trainer to effectively desensitize yeah. your dog. And yeah. you want to look at desensitization uh, yeah. with those. Um, valerian, I mean, um, there is the pet remedy um, solutions, which are sort of a herbal aromatherapy combination, um, which you can use for your pets instead of dog appeasing pheromone. Many people love that. Uh, a lot of the um, you know, essential oils, they will go yeah. through those, again, offering those up. So there are many options yeah. in there without going down these drugs with side effects. Yeah, we can. Um, you can kind of you can kind of put them off. You can say, well, the conventional. It's not like it doesn't work. It's not like any of us are against conventional of anything. You know, we're just trying to. You know, there is milder cases. There's things we can try, and we're trying to get the dog over the issue. And we certainly don't want anybody that's even thinking about using conventional drugs long term to control the behavioural issues on the wrong track. Uh, I conclude that kind of behavioural webinar with setting it all up and then talking about benefits of raw dog food, and then the last third about butch bar, and then I finish on what I would do if I had a stress dog. And I'd say there's no teaching the dog anything if the foundation isn't right. He needs to be pulled out of whatever stressful situation it is. If he's got negative dog distraction on the streets, stop walking the dog for a little while. And let's rehabilitate the dog a little bit. Get the gut back. Get him back happy. Uh, get everything back normalized. Things won't normalize if you keep getting your stressor every day. You're always going to have that dysbiotic gut. So you can't expect, oh, I'll give some probiotics and walk him past the Black Shepherd every day that he hates. It's not going to work, guys. Or if, you know, he, Hoover's terrifying and you Hoover every single day. So having a little break, uh, certainly dogs coming out of pounds that are, you know, aggressive in adversity commas that are just unhappy. Uh, it's about good food, probiotics, rehabilitate them with a few of the supplements we've talked about. Friend, did you ever meet, um, what's her name, Vicky somebody, um, or I'm confusing her now. Uh, she's over in Switzerland. Vicky Simon? Oh, no, no. No, uh, it's, um, oh, what's her name? Uh, I can't remember. But she studies CBD in dogs in Switzerland. And uh, really, really interesting. But like, the studies of the effect. And so where do we get it from? Okay, people think it's just from cannabis plants. It's not. It comes from hemp and all sorts of other uh, plants mm -hmm. out there as well. And it, uh, it actually accumulates in prey and dogs will get it from prey. So they don't get huge doses of it. And that's why dogs have double the amount of receptors for it in their body. We all have an endocannabinoid system all along our arms and organs and bodies and brains, huge amounts of it in our lungs everywhere. So it's, it's everywhere. So that tells us we're supposed to be eating CBD all the time. Dogs get it from eating prey, but they only get tiny amounts of it. So you only need to give your dog, if you've got the human type fine, tiny amounts of CBD for really good benefits. But it's not like he's just smoked a joint and he's passed out on the couch. People are expecting these sort of benefits from this, but it's not the same. It just increases your ability to cope. It increases your ability to do public speaking. It decreases your fear of going to the dentist. 
all these kind of studies, it slightly increases healing time and all this other stuff. It's not a quick fix, but it might be those little, that's where I would go, the, for those supplements rather than nutritional supplements, if that would be my, my concluding comment on, on this. And, and if you want uh, another understanding of actually, uh, and I've seen a few cases of this recently, how important understanding these stresses to the pet's health generally is. Uh, you know, this is another good book, uh, the polyvagal theory, okay, by oh, yeah. Stephen Porges. Okay, um, so that's talking about uh, how one being in the same household as people expressing certain ways can actually influence the health and welfare and the relative um, vagal drive there is. So basically, the parasympathetics has three uh, parts of the brain it comes from, from the reptilian parts all the way through to the mammalian part. Uh, and you effectively will affect the system in different ways, okay? So actually, you, you can get heart-stopping moments from the vagus, but actually the vagus is so important in normal, the normal gut function. So all of those IBSs out there that can be affected by excess sympathetic drive. So the sympathetic drive is the stress, the, the desire ah. to, you know, the fear, flight, and fight yeah. uh, modes, okay? Well, that's constantly, if you drive that up, the balance of driving up those sympathetic stresses, reducing the parasympathetic ability to ah. function uh, comes into that. So understanding how it's beyond Ooh. just behavioral therapy we're talking about. This is general whole life issues mm. that it can uh, develop into. And so many people don't recognize those behavioral distress moments. So they end up with their dog, you know, barking, you know, constantly as a little tiny terrier dog. And they just put it down to, oh, it's a little tiny terrier and he does that. Yeah. It's not actually yeah. perceiving the stresses that that dog's in. And the reason that he's got pancreatitis signs may well be because he's constantly yeah. in distress. Okay? There is so much more we could talk about. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Connor, for raising this. I think it's been really useful. That was a good one. Uh, we've enjoyed it. Uh, if you want to hear more and you want to see more, you know, join us on Patreon. Uh, you know, look at some of the articles we can put up there. There'll be little bits um, dotted around Facebook, but a lot more on Patreon. And uh, look forward to next week Q and A. So yes. uh, you know, have a look at. Uh, so that's just your general questions. We'll be asking you to pop up uh, on Facebook and on Patreon, and we'll go through some of those, uh, particularly our Patreon followers. Uh, if you want to know how to get to us for the price of a cup of tea or coffee, um, patreon.com. We deeply appreciate medics. it. That's brilliant. Okay. That's great. So, All right, guys. Take Thanks care. Very much. Brilliant. Cheers, Connor. Thank nice. you. Yeah, cheers, Brent. <laughs> Blind, 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 blind,